Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. Thanks for being here this morning. You can find a seat. And if you have a Bible this morning, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter number 4 is where we're going to be this morning, 2 Kings chapter number 4. And uh, last week we started a brand new uh, series of messages that we've entitled Better Together. And uh, we're learning how to do life together as a church and, and uh, really what biblical community looks like. And last week we were in Hebrews chapter number 10 and we discovered uh, really some principles about true, real, authentic biblical community when we're doing life together. And last week we talked really about uh, growing together. And uh, this week we're going to talk about serving together. And uh, we're going to understand the power of uh, partnership. The power of partnership. Everybody say partnership. 2 Kings chapter number 4 is where we're going to be. And we're going to start reading in verse number 8. If you're there, would you say amen? 2 Kings chapter number 4 and uh, verse number 8. The Bible says this, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where it was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive. Everybody say perceive. I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. Verse number 11. And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer this morning. Father, thank you for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for the powerful worship that we've already uh, had this morning. But Lord, I pray that, that, it, that it wouldn't stop now. I pray that we would continue to uh, uh, keep our attention on you this morning. And Lord, I pray that, that you will help us understand the meaning behind this text and how it applies to us today. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, fill me with your spirit to give me uh, the words to say that could uh, be helpful for us this morning. And uh, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. For as long as I can remember, I've always been a Lakers fan, a Los Angeles Lakers fan. And uh, growing up, any Lakers fans uh, in here this morning? Okay, amen. God bless you. And uh, uh, I I always have been a Lakers fan. I've always been, uh, when it comes to basketball, Kobe Bryant's always been my favorite player. and, uh, And I've always watched him growing up. In fact, I watched Kobe Bryant play all 20 seasons with the Lakers. And, uh, and uh, I, I don't really get emotional watching TV. I've never cried watching a movie or watching a television show. But on Kobe Bryant's retirement night, I think my eyes got a little bit misty on that night. And uh, that was an emotional day. Kobe Bryant uh, was retiring. And uh, the most fun uh, era of the Los Angeles Lakers was when Kobe Bryant and uh, Shaquille O'Neal were playing together. Okay, uh, How many of you remember uh, when they were partnered together? Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal. Okay, some of you are like, I don't care about sports. Get back. Let's get to the Bible. Um, Kobe Bryant and... Uh, Shaquille O'Neal, they they partnered together, and uh, they were a dynamic duo, and uh, they were an unstoppable force in the NBA. In fact, uh, they went on to win three back-to-back-to-back NBA championships together, and uh, they they just were an incredible uh, force to reckon with. But they, they did not go on to win more championships together because they couldn't figure out how to get along. 
And uh, their relationship had a lot of drama surrounding it. And they kept on uh, fighting and bickering with one another. And it got so bad that they didn't like each other so much that uh, eventually the owner of the Lakers, Jerry Buss at the time, he, he just traded uh, uh, Shaquille O'Neal away to the Miami Heat. And they split up that dynamic duo. And uh, most sports writers say that if they would have just figured out how to work together, they would have had much more success. And they would have gone on to win many more championships if they could have just figured out how to work together. Now, I say that story this morning for two reasons. One, I kind of like just talking about the Lakers, okay? I'll be honest with you. Uh, But number two, we have to understand and and see from that that there is power and potential in partnership. And when it comes to the calling that God has given us, and when it comes to living on mission, and when it comes to fulfilling the uh, duties and the assignments that God has given us, we have to understand that we can accomplish more for God's glory if we do it within the context of partnership. If we do it together, if we say, hey, I want to reach more people together. I want to serve God together. I, I-, I want to do this in partnership, in-, in-, in tandem. But so often, instead of working together and striving together, we have our own ideas of how things should be done. And we have our own goals and our own ambitions. And instead of working together, we find ourselves kind of doing our own thing. And uh, the Apostle Paul, he talked about this, probably the most paramount verse on, on this idea of partnership is found in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 27, where Paul said this, writing to his friends at Philippi, he said, only let your conversation or your lifestyle be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, and in one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's, that's the common goal. Hey, we're to strive together. We're to reach more people together. We're to serve more people together. We're to help more people together. We're to live life striving together. And that, that was Paul's heart. That was his desire. And that's my heart and my desire uh, for our church this morning, that we would learn to partner together because the greater the partnership, the greater the potential. God can do some great things if we say, hey, I don't want to live in isolation, but I want to live in, in community together. Uh, uh, Paul was also writing to uh, the church at Corinth in First Corinthians chapter number 12. Uh, he, he begins this section of scripture where he's talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about church and he compares the church to a body. And he kind of uses this obscure illustration to prove his point about how everyone in the body, everyone in the church is equally important. And it says this, For as a body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. So he's saying just like in our physical bodies, there are many different components. We have toes and fingers and eyes and ears and noses. He says, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have made all uh, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For there is, uh, for the body is not one member, but many. Everybody say many. many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it not therefore of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, am I not of the body? And he's kind of using this obscure, like obvious illustration. Like, of course, the ear is still a part of the body, but because I'm not the eye, am I not the body? Is there uh, is therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole uh, were hearing, then where were the smelling? And he's kind of just going, going back and forth. But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the, 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 the head to the feet, I have no need of you. But watch this. This is where he really comes down to it. He says, nay, no, much more. Everybody say much more. 
He says, no, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. Can I tell you this morning that no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter if you're male, female, young, or old, that you matter to God and that God has a purpose for your life and you belong in this body and God has a function for you to fulfill. He said, hey, it's not about the eye and the ear. It's about working together in harmony for the faith of the gospel. And so often we mistake prominence for significance. Just because something is, is prominent doesn't necessarily mean it's significant. Just because something is significant doesn't necessarily mean it's prominent. And sometimes we think, well, what do I matter? What's my position? I don't have, I don't have a, a high visibility in my position. Or, or, or what, what really good can I do? My toe is not very prominent. At least I don't think it is. No one's ever told me you have a really big toe. Um, but my toe is not very prominent. I don't think about my toe often. I don't look at my toe often. But I know that it's significant because I've stubbed my toe before, and it's the equivalent of, uh, of childbirth. I, I'm just telling you. It's painful, okay? But excuse me. Don't argue with the preacher this morning, okay? But it's significant, and a lot of times we can think, a lot of times we can think, well, man, my position or my place is not very important. It's not very significant. But I want to tell you that it doesn't matter where you serve or what position you're in. You have a purpose and you belong and you are an equal, important, significant part of the body. And, and, and every, every team that we have at Rock Hill is an important part of the body. The, the, the parking team is essentially significant and important. Without the parking team, we'd have people uh, getting in car accidents, getting lost and wondering where to go. And, and, uh, and uh, our greeter team is vitally important. Our Rock Hill kids team is vitally important. The reason that we can have a service uninterrupted and, and talk about the gospel and declare the word of God is because we have some, some servant leaders that are willing to uh, not only watch the kids, but train the kids and teach the kids. And so every part of the body is so important. Our media team is so vitally important. You might not see it every week, the people that set up a camera, the people that turn on the sound board, the people that uh, click the button for the screens behind here. But let me just tell you, just because you don't see them doesn't mean that what they're doing is not significant. We have people that tune in every week that watch our services that have never even been here. And it's because we have some team members that are going to say, hey, uh, I might not be seen. It might not be prominent, but I'm going to do what God's called me to do. And so we have to understand that, that Paul is talking here and he's saying, hey, uh, uh, every member of the body is, is vitally important and significant. There, there's great power and potential in partnership. And we come to 2 Kings chapter number 4, and it's this powerful uh, section of Scripture that I believe uh, beautifully embodies this concept of partnership. And uh, uh, Elisha has just come onto the scene. He's God's prophet, and uh, his predecessor was Elijah, and, and Elijah did some great things for God, and he was just recently in 2 Kings 2 translated up into heaven, and now Elisha is taking over. A new generation has come, and he's, he's got the mantle, and he prayed and asked God for a double portion, and God gave him the double portion. And so Elisha's ministry is characterized by momentum, and his ministry is characterized by, mir uh, his ministry is characterized by miracles. In fact, many commentators say that he is the, the miracle prophet because he was constantly doing great things for God, and there was miracles that were constantly taking place in his ministry. But he didn't do it alone. And we come to 2 Kings chapter number 4, and Elisha crosses paths with this obscure, unnamed woman from an obscure city called Shunem. 
And as Elisha's passing through, this woman says, you know what, I think that, that uh, this is a man of God, and I, and, and I think that, that we should partner together. And so her and, and uh, her husband, and they, they, they partnered together with Elisha, and together in that partnership, they saw God do the miraculous. And I believe that from this uh, brief section of Scripture that we can learn some powerful truths that can apply to us today in the church. And so if you're ready, would you say Amen. Let's go ahead and notice four principles from this passage that I believe will help us uh, discover the, the power of partnership. Number one, great opportunities are found in the midst of the ordinary. Great opportunities are found in the midst of the ordinary. If you have your Bible open, notice what it says in verse number eight. It says this, and it fell on a day. And I love the phrasing of that. It just happened to be a day. It just fell on a day. And uh, it fell on a day uh, that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. Everything about this scenario to me just screams normal. Just screams ordinary. Elisha was just traveling. This wasn't a big, great event. Elisha was just traveling. And uh, he, he was traveling in between two prominent locations, Samaria and Mount Carmel. And now he's passing through this really small, obscure city of Shunem. This would have been uh, the place that people just kind of pass through on their way to more prominent locations. And, and uh, he's just passing through. And uh, this woman uh, sees Elisha passing through. And she sees not just an ordinary circumstance, an everyday circumstance. She sees an opportunity to serve God. She, she sees a moment where he, hey, even though this is ordinary, even though this isn't a revival taking place, this isn't a conference, this isn't some big event, Elisha's not up on Mount Carmel, this isn't a big showdown. No, this is just Elisha traveling. He's just got his travel clothes on. He's got his headphones in and his pillow around his neck, and he's just traveling, going through, and she says, hey, this is an opportunity. This is a moment where I can serve God. See, if you are serious about serving God, you're not going to have to look hard uh, to find an opportunity to serve God. And see, what happens is a lot of times the opportunities that are available are the opportunities that we are unwilling to accept. So often the opportunities that they're available, there's a need, are the ones that we're not willing to accept. And so she does not see the ordinary, she sees an opportunity. And some of the greatest opportunities that God will give you will be found when you are serving in the ordinary. When you are saying, hey, this is an ordinary moment, this is just a normal week, this is just a routine day, but I'm going to go ahead and serve God in the routine. I'm going to serve God in the mundane because I believe that God can do the impossible, that God can do the extraordinary in the ordinary moments. And so... So, so she finds this ordinary, ordinary circumstance, and she says, you know what, I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to serve God in this moment. And she thought, you know, maybe I can't do much. Kind of an obscure city. Not a lot of people know me. But I like to cook, and Elisha needs to eat. And so maybe I can go ahead and just serve him a meal. And so what she does is she demonstrates hospitality. And she opens up her home and she says, let me go ahead and, and, and serve this, this, this meal for you. And she is hospitable. And all of us, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we are called to be hospitable. And it's not something that we think about often, and we might not even think it's that important, but it is vitally important to our faith that we be people of hospitality. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 12, verse number 13, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Now, some people are just naturally hospitable. Uh, my mom is very hospitable. My sister, Christine, is very hospitable. If you just kind of, you can show up at her house unannounced and she'll be like, hey, come on in. Do you want some sweet tea? I have some made for you. And, and uh, hey, I have chocolate cake in the fridge. Let me go ahead and get that for you. And, 
And Kate and I, we do, we're better now, but there was a time you came over to our house and it was like, you want some fruit snacks? You know, that's all we have. <laughs> some people are naturally hospitable, but we are all called to be hospitable. In fact, the, the Greek word in that verse in Romans 12, 13, the Greek word for hospitality is this, phylexonia, and it means this, watch this, to love strangers, to welcome them in, to love them in. I thought about that, and I got convicted because so often the church is viewed and is known as being hostile when we should be being viewed as being hospitable. We should be welcoming people in and loving people and saying, hey, you're welcome here. We have an open door. Come, come on in. We, we love you. We want to help you. We want to serve in any way that we can. We don't want to shut people out. We want to bring people in. And so in, in our personal lives, we ought to be people of fellowship and a people of hospitality. But as a church, we always want to be welcoming people in and showing and demonstrating the love of Christ to them, to, to, to all people. And so she was demonstrating this hospitality. And, and I see two things about about her service, and, and uh, when I was originally writing this message, I wrote six things about her service, but I decided to narrow it down for us to the two that I think are most important. Um, she served, first of all, she served passionately. Notice it, notice it in verse number eight. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, ordinary, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. Now, there's an interesting word in that verse, and it's the word constrained. She constrained him. The word means to be forceful, to be strong, to be resolute. She constrained him to eat bread. She insisted, which tells us that Elisha probably said, no, thank you, at first. She says, hey, can, you want to uh, come over? Let me, let me make you a meal. And he's like, no, thanks. And uh, please, let, let me make something. No, no, it's okay. It's kind of like if you've ever gone out to eat with someone, they're like, let me pay. No, I'll pay. No, you pay. Okay, fine, you can pay. She was insisting she was saying, please don't rob me of a blessing. Please let me serve God in this capacity. She, she insisted on serving. She was passionate. She constrained him. See, a lot of times we look for every excuse not to serve. Oh, he said no. Okay, I tried. But she insisted. She said, let me serve. Let, let, let me do what I can. So she was serving passionately. The Bible talks about this. In Romans chapter 12, verses 10 through 11, it says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Fervent in spirit. And so we should not serve God out of obligation. We should serve God with determination, saying, hey, I'm going I'm I'm to I'm find a way. Even if there's obstacles, even if someone says, no, I'm going to find a way to serve God. So she was serving passionately, but then I see that she was serving selflessly. In verse number 8, it says that she was a great woman. She was a great woman. And that word great is interesting. In fact, it's the only time in all of Scripture that a woman is called great in this particular sense. And so this was a very special woman. And she was a great woman because she was, uh, in this context, she was a woman of influence and a woman of means. She had, she had resources. And rather than keep those resources to herself that God blessed her with, she said, let me go ahead and bless others. Let me be selfless and give the resources that God has given me to somebody else. If you ever had a lot of people over, it gets expensive. It may have been easy to serve the meal the first time, but what about continually, every time he passed? She was giving of what she had for someone else. And we live in a very self-absorbed generation and culture and society when it's all about me and let me further my cause and let me do what I want to do when we should be living selflessly for the cause of others. That's why we like our birthdays so much, right? It's a day that's all about me. <laughs> Who doesn't like their own birthday, right? And um, my, birthday is on, my birthday is on June 8th, and uh, I'm not seeing you guys write that down. That, that's okay. 
Um, my birthday is on June 8th, and uh, I remember several years ago I was traveling to Australia, and uh, we left on June 7th. And because of time change, when we landed in Australia, it was June 9th. <laughs> Completely skipped my birthday. It was the worst ever. I don't even know how old I am today. I, we just skipped my birthday. That was the worst. If we're not careful, we will develop an unhealthy focus on self, and we will miss opportunity after opportunity after opportunity that God puts in our path to serve someone else. And so th this woman of Shunem, she said, I'm going to serve passionately. She constrained him. And then she served selflessly. Let me, let me give what I have for someone else. And she found an ordinary season, an ordinary moment to say, you know what, I'm going to serve in the ordinary and use that as an opportunity to give glory to God. And so she, she was serving. The Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 10. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it uh, as, the, uh, as of the ability which God giveth. And that God giveth, that, excuse me, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. And so if God has given us a gift, if God has given us an ability to serve in any capacity, if God has blessed you with some sort of spiritual gift, then we ought to use that for God's glory. We ought to, we ought to serve in whatever capacity that God has blessed us in. And so great opportunities are found in the midst of the ordinary. But notice number two this morning. Your perception will unlock your potential. Your perception, now, now I'll explain this in a minute, but your perception will unlock your potential. Notice what it says in verse number 9. If you're with me, would you say amen? amen? Verse 9, and she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive, I notice something, I perceive that this is an holy man of God which passeth by us continually. So she pulled her husband aside and she said, Man, I noticed something different about, about this man. I perceive something. I notice something. She had this discernment to see something. And that perception led to an idea. That idea led to action. That action led to a miracle. But it started with her perception. See, see she saw something. Don't miss this. She saw something because she was serving. See, when you're serving, you're seeing. And whenever you're serving, you're going to see some things that you wouldn't otherwise see. And because she was involved, because she was serving, she saw something. She perceived something. She had this discernment. Now, this was a compliment for Elisha. It says, it says that she perceived that he was a holy man of God. It didn't say that she perceived that he was an interesting man or that he was an intelligent man. It said that she perceived that he was a holy man of God. And this speaks to Elisha's character. His, his, his private devotion was in alignment with his public declarations. He, he, he was a man of God. She never heard him preach a sermon. She, she never saw him perform a miracle, but she perceived, she, she knew something. She had this discernment uh, that, that he was a holy man of God. And so his character was, uh, was impeccable in this situation. And so uh, this was a compliment for Elisha, but really it was a compliment for the woman. Because she had the ability to discern and to decipher between what was holy and what was not. And that is something that is seriously lacking in our culture today. <laughs> the ability to discern, to be able to have discernment, to say that's holy, that's not. And she perceived this. She had this perception. Her eyes were open to notice that, that this is a man of God. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, verse 15. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. That word judgeth there means discernment. And, and, and so we are to discern all things. We're not to be judgmental people, but we are to be people of judgment. 
We are to be people of discernment, to say, you know what, I'm going to decipher not always between what's evil and what's good, but sometimes what's good and what's best. That, that's the ability of discernment. And wherever there is godly discernment, there will be godly direction. And, and so many people in their lives, they're lacking godly direction. They're lacking good direction in their lives because they're lacking discernment. They're just kind of making decisions on a whim and not backing it up to biblical principles. And so we had to ask God on a daily basis, give me the biblical discernment that I need to make right decisions that will set me in the right direction. See, she perceived, and, and that, that perception unlocked her potential. Now, the Bible says this in, in Psalm 119, verse number 100. It says this, I understand more than the ancients. And I love that word ancients because that's a politically correct term for old people. I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. What is he saying there? He's saying I have the ability from God to understand, to have discernment, to have wisdom. Why? Even though I'm younger, why? Because I'm connected to the word of God. That's what he's saying. And so if we want to have wisdom, if we want to have discernment, if we want to have God's direction, then we've got to be connected to God's word. The Bible says this in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And this I pray. That your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve the things that are what? Excellent. That you can approve the things that are excellent. See, deciding and deciphering and discerning between what is good and, and what is best, the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. And so her perception, she noticed some things that unlocked her potential. Now, notice number three this morning where there is necessity, there should be activity. Wherever there is necessity, wherever there is need, there should be action following that need. Wherever there is a necessity, there should be activity. There should be a response to that. Notice verse number 9. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set uh, for him there a bed and a table, and a stool, and a candlestick, and it shall be that when he cometh to us, that he shall turn in thither. And so she, there was this need that she perceived. I, I perceived that there is a need that, that he needs a place to say, stay, and so that necessity uh, produced activity in her life. She said, let's do something about this. She said, let's make, let's make a little chamber. Let's make a place for him to come and to uh, stay. Now notice what she says in verse number 10. She said, let us make a little chamber, I pray thee. So she was uh, conferring with her husband. She was communicating with her husband. She said, let's do this together. And we see here an example of a godly wife that, that, that says, hey, let's serve the Lord together. Let's do this together. Let, let, let's, let, let's put aside here and let's build a little chamber for him to come and stay. And so whenever he passes by, he'll have a place to sleep and we'll get out a little bed for him and he can stay there. This was, this was the original Airbnb. This was, you know, you can see it uh, 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 cozy cabin in Shunem. You know, this was, this was the original Airbnb. Hey, hey, come stay here. And whenever you pass by, you can stay, stay here. Now, to do this, it took a lot of work. Yeah. It took a lot of work to, uh, to, to build this, this place for him to stay. At first, it was just cooking, but now it's a construction project. And see, her service was increasing and increasing. See, where there's spiritual maturity, you'll, uh, you will identify that spiritual maturity by the fact that your service for God is increasing, not decreasing. Her heart was not to do less. I've, I've already been giving him meals. Her heart was to do more, to put in the work. Let, let's, let's build a whole place for him to stay. I was, I was reading this week about 
Uh, actually about Airbnb. How many of you are familiar with Airbnb? Can I see your hands? Okay. If you're unfamiliar with Airbnb, um, it's a company that these guys started uh, uh, to allow people to stay in their house and kind of uh, uh, to rent their room and to rent their beds for, for, for certain times. And, and it really started, there was a, a tech conference that, that was going on and all the hotels were booked up. And so they said, let's, let's have people stay at our house and we'll charge them for it. And so these guys did that. And, and uh, after that first week, they said, this could be a successful business plan. And so let's, let's uh, try to do this. And so they did it. And the first year they had some success but they were in a lot of debt in fact after the first year as I was reading they were $40,000 in credit card debt after the first year of trying this 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 new company I'm always fascinated with how companies start in entrepreneurship I, uh, I always think it's interesting and they were they were in debt and so they these two guys they said let's um, let's come up with an idea to uh, fund our, our new business idea. And so what they did was, this was during the 2008 elections, and so they, they made cereal boxes. They designed cereal boxes, and I think we have a picture of them this morning. They designed these cereal boxes, Captain McCain's and Obama O's cereal. And uh, they did this for the sole purpose of just raising funds for their company, Airbnb. And uh, what they did was they designed these, they printed them up cheaply, and they sold these boxes of cereal for $40.00. And uh, they ended up making over $30,000 selling this cereal. And uh, they, they were just hustlers. They were like, we're just going to do whatever it takes. And later on, when they were in an investment meeting, uh, they were in this meeting, and uh, they were trying to get some funds for Airbnb to get it off the ground. And uh, they were meeting with a, with a wealthy investor. And uh, they pitched the idea of Airbnb. Hey, people can kind of come sleep at your house and sleep on air mattress. And the, and the investor said, no, <laughs> that's a bad idea. I don't want to invest. And on the way out, one of the guys, one of the uh, founders of Airbnb, uh, pulled out a box of Obama O's and gave it to him and told him the story and said, hey, uh, we were in debt, and so we just had this crazy idea. Let's just sell cereal to help fund this company. And he gave it to him. And this is what the investor said back to him. And uh, I thought it was interesting. He said, wow, you guys are like cockroaches. <laughs> he said, you just won't die. He said, if you can convince people to pay $40 for a box of cereal, you can probably convince them to sleep on each other's air mattresses. You guys are in. And he invested in Airbnb. And today, I don't even know how much Airbnb is worth, but it's a multi-billion dollar company. But see, these guys were impressive to the investor because they were willing to put in the work. They were willing to do whatever it took. Hey, we'll sell cereal boxes if it means uh, that this company is going to go forward. We'll do whatever it takes. And it's my prayer that we would raise up some people in church that would say, hey, we will do whatever it takes to reach people with the life-giving, life-changing message of Jesus. Anything short of sin, hey, we want to reach people. We want to do more. I, I don't want my service for God to be decreasing. I want it to be increasing. I want to do more for the cause of Christ. I want to put in the effort and expend energy so that we can see lives change for the gospel of Christ and the this woman said, hey, I know that we've already been serving, but let's do a little bit more. Let's increase our commitment. Let's, I, I insist, let's increase our involvement to see the work of the ministry being advanced. Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not, as we have therefore opportunity. Everybody say opportunity. Let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Uh, Vince Lombardi, famous uh, football coach of the Packers, he said this, individual commitment to a group effort, that is what makes a team work, a company work, a society work, and a civilization work. Individual commitment to a group effort. And I believe we could add that's what makes a church work. Now, now, now nothing, nothing can happen without the power of God and the working of the Holy Spirit in the church, but it takes a, a group of believers that say, hey, I'm going to demonstrate individual commitment to a group cause so that God can do what only God can do. We've got to strive, strive together. That, that's, the, that's the idea. And so, um, and so we see that, that she was willing to go above and beyond. And where there was a necessity, 
She said, let me meet that necessity with activity. And before we move on to the last point, let me just say this. At Rock Hill, we have a necessity. Amen. We have a need. We, we need more servant leaders. Yes. We need more people to say, hey, I'll come to a team rally at 955, and I'll serve out in the parking lot, and I'll serve on the media team, and I'll serve uh, in, in Rock Hill Kids. We have a necessity. Why? Because we're trying to reach more people. If we're content with just the volunteers that we have, we're never going to grow. We're never going to reach more people. And so whether, wherever there is a necessity, there should be activity. There should be a response. And so, so she, she met that need with a response. And I, I see one more principle this morning. Number four, if you're with me, would you say amen? amen? One more. Number four, God's provision is always greater than our sacrifice. God's provision is always greater than our sacrifice. Notice number 11, verse number 11. And it fell on a day that he came thither and he turned into the chamber and he lay there. So he made use out of this place to stay. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto him, say now unto her, behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? So Elisha was grateful. He was appreciative. He said, he said you've, you've been taking care of us and you, you've blessed us. How can we bless you? How can we, how can we thank you? How can we pay you back? He says, wouldst thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among mine own people. And what a powerful response that she says. He says, you want a good word with the king? I know him. His name is Jehoram. I can go and talk to you and, and I can help you. And do you, do you want something like that? And she says, no, I dwell among my own people. What was she saying? She's saying, I'm content with what God's given me. See, the Bible says, where there is godliness and contentment, there is great gain. And this woman was godly and she was content and she's about to experience great gain. She said, I'm content. I'm not serving for something. I'm serving for someone. So she said, I'm content. I, I don't need anything. And so verse number 14, and he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, verily, she hath no child and her husband is old. She said, they're not able to have children. Maybe we can bless her with children. So Elisha said, okay, so this verse number 15, he sent her to call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door and he said, about this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not, do, do not lie unto thine handmaid. She said, don't, don't, don't joke around with me about this. Don't lie to me. That, that, that sounds too good to be true. That's amazing. Notice what it says next. Verse 17, and the woman conceived. And bear a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. And so we see that there is this great blessing. And she served the Lord and she sacrificed for the Lord. She lived selflessly and she sacrificed. And so God said, let me, let me take care of you. Let me reward you. See, God's provision is always greater than our sacrifice. Now, we're not always going to get rewarded on earth. We're not always going to get, uh, get um, uh, benevolence rewarded on earth. But we do know this, that God sees us when we serve and that God notices when we sacrifice. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 10, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and, and your labor of love. God sees it when we serve and God says, I want to reward you. Let, let me tell you this morning, it always pays to serve God. It's always worth it to serve God. It's always worth it to live a selfless life and to live a life for others and to live a life of sacrifice. And God says, let me, let me pour out my blessing on your life. Now, I wish the story ended there because it's a great ending. 
She served God, she sacrificed, she lived selfless, and then God said, let me bless you with a miraculous conception and child. You, you, you can uh, have this and experience this great blessing. But then reality hits and, and, and the story goes on. Notice verse 18. And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said unto his father, my head and my head. And he said to the lad, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And so she experiences this great blessing from God. And then in a moment, her blessing is made into a burden. Why would God let this happen? It would have been better not even to have the child than to experience this great hurt in, 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 in such a short manner of time, to experience this miracle child. And now, now he's died. And most commentators say it was sunstroke or something similar. And God blesses her and then takes it away and says, now there's this burden there. Why did God let this happen? And that is the question that has haunted the hearts of so many people and infiltrated the minds of so many people. Why would a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? She was a good woman. She lived, she did everything right. She lived selflessly. She served, the, she served for the work of the ministry. Why would God let this happen? And so many people get caught up in that question and we could spend so much time trying to attempt to answer that question. But we have to remember first and foremost that God's ways are not our ways and God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And we see what's in front of us, but God sees what's above us and what's around us. And he is working together all things for good to them that love him and that are called according to his purpose. And we don't know what God is doing, but God is working behind the scenes, even in the midst of difficulty. And so this difficulty happens and, and now she has this unbelievable burden. Her child, her young child is gone. And notice what she does in verse number 21. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. Why did she do that? Because even though she lost her son, she did not lose her faith. And she was not preparing for a burial. She was preparing for a miracle. She said, it's not over yet. And she goes up to the very chamber, the very room that she built for the servant of God, for the man of God. And she lays her son on that bed. And she runs and she finds Elisha and says, you got to come. You got to do something. And so Elisha, uh, finally, they make their way back uh, to, to the place where the boy was. Notice verse number 33. And he went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his, his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands. And this was culturally symbolic of asking God to, to, to bring new life. And he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon. And the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. He opens his eyes and he called Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. So he called her and when she was come in unto him, he said, take up thy son. And then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took upon her son and, and she went out. And so why did God turn this blessing into a burden? Because God wanted to enlarge the blessing. God wanted to stretch her and, and, and to grow her faith and to add to her faith and to add to her strength. And yes, we're going to go through seasons of pain and we're going to go through seasons of difficulty and we're going to carry burdens and we're going to carry difficulties and we're going to go through trials and tribulations and we're going to experience all kinds of things. But maybe if you are enduring a burden, God is enlarging a blessing and God wants to do something great in your life and God wants to see the miraculous happen in your life. And so I want to encourage you to stay faithful even when you can't see it, even when you don't understand why would God let this happen? Just know this, that God is all sovereign and he is in control and he is working together all things for good. He's got a plan. He's not worried. 
It, it takes faith and God wants to enlarge the blessing. And so often we have to be willing to carry the burden and believe that God's enlarging the blessing. I read about the Battle of Waterloo where Napoleon was famously and uh, finally defeated. And uh, he was uh, leading uh, the French army and, and the Duke of Wellington was leading the English. And, and uh, the English came up with this plan to decide and to communicate and relay the information if, if and Napoleon had won or if he had lost. And so what they decided to do is they decided to have these bright lights and they were gonna shine the light three times if Napoleon or if Napoleon had been defeated and they were gonna shine the light across this, this, this channel into the English side. They were gonna shine it twice if Napoleon had won. And so the battle was, was over and Napoleon was defeated and they, they shined the light once to the English side. They, they, they shined it again. But then before they could see that third light indicating that Napoleon had lost, the fog came in over the water and they missed the third light. And so the Duke of Wellington and the English side, they thought that they had lost. They thought Napoleon had won and they didn't even know they had experienced victory until the next morning. See, sometimes we go through life and we are discouraged and we're defeated and our heads down. We feel like, man, I'm not connecting and I'm not, I'm not doing what, what I'm supposed to be doing and my, my prayers aren't being answered. But I want to tell you this, just keep your head up because the victory has already been won. That Jesus already defeated sin, death, and the grave. He's already conquered it all. And so we walk in victory today and we know that even when we can't sense it and even when we can't see it, that God is in control and that he is working all things together for good. And they experienced this miracle. They experienced this resurrection. And the Bible says this in Ephesians chapter number two, verse number five, even when we were dead in sins, just like that boy didn't have life before Jesus, we were dead in our sins. We were lost, dying on our way to hell, forever separated from God. We were dead in our sins. But he hath quickened us together, made us alive with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse number eight. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Is anybody thankful today that by grace we can be saved and we can experience a new life, a resurrection, a new life for Jesus. Even when we were lost and dead in our sins, God sent his only begotten son to live a perfectly sinless life, to die on the cross for our sins so that we can have a home in heaven forever. And we can experience new life, a resurrection. And so they experienced this miracle. Elisha and the Shunammite woman and her husband, they partnered together and they experienced something so miraculous and so great that it just gave God all the glory. And how did they experience this? And how did this happen? They worked in partnership. And so I want to encourage us to get to, together this morning. Let's get in the trenches together. Let's serve the Lord together. Let's link hand in hand and arm in arm. And let's march forward and say, we're going to do this not in isolation, but in community. We're going to reach people together. And we're going to ask God to do the miraculous in our midst. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.